Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. So why is it so easy to blame circumstances and other people, but we never blame ourselves? And why are we so often our biggest enemies? Much of our culture is talking about self-esteem, or maybe even we've upgraded that to the need for self-compassion. But what about self-control? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And maybe by the end of the episode, it'll be something your future self can thank you about. My name is Jeff Holsclaw, and this is the Being With Podcast, where we're integrating neuroscience, spiritual formation, and questions of faith. And as always, we're brought to you by Grassroots Christianity, which seeks to grow faith for everyday people. So today I'm joined by Drew Dyke, an editor of Moody Publishers, uh, formerly, well, No, he currently is a Moody Publishers editor, formerly the editor of Leadership Journal. His work has been published and featured in USA Today, The Huffington Post, Christianity Today, and CNN. And he has just written a book, well, not just written, but his most recent book is Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets to Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science. Drew, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thank you for having me, Jeff. My brain is so excited to be here. Good. Or maybe it's brain, me. I don't know. And your body yeah. and everything. <laughs> well, good. Well, we have uh, some past, you know, we didn't know each other at all when we both lived in Chicago land. But I just need you to back me up on something now. This weekend, I didn't get any grading done. And the reason is, is because my Chicago Cubs were playing the dreaded Cardinals. Also, the oh. NBA playoffs started. And I had a lot of yard work to do. So please explain to everyone, based on your book and your and, and your research, why those circumstances are indeed what kept me from grading this weekend. That's what your book was about, right? Right. And you get a full pass. That's okay. that's not a lot okay, in self-control. So those circumstances were certainly not a character defect. Absolutely understandable. Okay. And I'm 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 using the same thing because I'm a big NBA fan. My my I'm a long-suffering Trailblazers fan, and so I'm gonna be rooting for them. They won, by the way, the first game, so I'm pretty happy. And praying for their for their second game, which is is uh, tonight. Oh, I don't know if that's theologically kosher, but I think I can pray for them. I think I think you can. I can I think, okay, I think that's okay. That's for a different podcast. But so okay, so you wrote a book called "Your Future Self Will Thank You: Secrets of Self Control from the Bible and Brain Science." And what does that mean at the be- Did you choose? Okay, because I know you you don't always choose your own title. So did you choose? Another you know, course as an author. Yep. Yes. Did yeah, you? it was a, you know, that's a good question. Um, it was a collaborative thing, right? Where you kind of go back and forth, which is great. Um, uh, my first title was A Foundation for the Soul, which sounds maybe kind of grandiose, but a little sleepy, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think I think it served me well to have that team effort where we, we kind of bandied it about and got a little playful with the idea that like, listen, I mean, self-control can be sort of a 
finger waggy topic sounds a little bit repressive and Victorian to some people. And so we wanted to be a little more lighthearted and go, Hey, listen, the, the reason to exercise self-control in the present is, you know, your future self is going to look back and go, Hey, thank you for doing that. Thank you for not eating that whole tub of gummy bears or <laughs> sleeping until noon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And, and as you know, that there's like a little bulldog, I think it is on the cover looking longingly at a plate of cookies. And so that's gotten a lot of attention and comments and people asking, is that your dog? No, it isn't. Um, and, uh, so that's been fun. Well, so the book is about self-control and why we need it. And I love that idea about your future self. will thank you. Now we've had, uh, in previous episodes, we've talked about, uh, maturity and character formation, uh, and how, and, and people, you know, talk about like, well, do we still have free will when we look at neuroscience, you know, close enough? Like, am I really responsible for the, the neurons that are firing and the ways that they were patterned? And can't I blame these other people? Uh, and a lot of people say, well, actually, you know, our choices now affect our spontaneous choices in the future. And, and so what we're doing now, actually, you know, we're responsible for our future selves and things like that. Um, but, but you start off with a quote, I think from what is your like high school or middle school literature teacher which was right. whenever whenever you lose control someone else will find it and i was like oh i love that so what does that mean whenever someone loses control or yeah. whenever you lose control someone else will find it what did, what was he getting at there well i think he was looking right at me talking about me <laughs> goofing off uh, <laughs> but the idea was yeah you, you act up in that context in school and uh your life is going to get narrower. You're going to be sent to the principal's office. You're going to be in detention. Uh, and then as you get older, of course, if you disobey the law, you might find yourself in jail. Uh, and, and that I thought that was just such a great principle. And even for smaller things, right? When you, when you lose control, when, when you don't um, restrain, uh, especially your, your darker impulses uh, uh, and sinful behaviors, your life actually gets narrower. And it's interesting. It's counterintuitive because we think we like to think anyway that freedom is just like the ability to do anything you want. Okay, I just have this wide range of options. I can do anything I want, and I want to indulge all those things if they if they make me feel good, if they maybe honor something that I feel within myself. But often, and I think we know this as Christians usually, is that if you do that, what happens, not only is it a sin often, uh, sometimes it isn't, sometimes it's just kind of dumb, uh, but what happens is your life gets narrower and narrower. You actually lose freedom. So like, I mean, think about, I don't know, credit cards, right? So I can go today, I can max out my credit card, I'd have a great time, um, mm -hmm. you know, go out to eat, you know, maybe take a vacation, buy a new car even. Uh, but then all of a sudden, of course, that bill is going to come too. <laughs> I'm going to have to work more. I'm going to be able to do less. Uh, and so in the long run, of course, I pay for it. Uh, and I think that's just a good principle in life. And so instead of being something that's restrictive or boring, the cop that shows up and shuts down the party, I think self-control is actually incredibly liberating. Because mm. if you if you are able to uh, obey God and and surrender your choices to what God wants you to do, exercise some self-control in the immediate, your life actually gets bigger and you have true freedom. Yeah. I remember one of the kind of parenting kind of switcheroos in my brain was uh, this idea of a strong willed child about a child who's disobedient and wants to do whatever. And I remember, uh, and I it was probably in a book um, where someone said, well, actually that's a weak willed child is they don't have a strong will. They just have strong impulses and they don't know how to choose between them and they don't know how to stick to a decision. They're just getting pushed around by every whim that is kind of, flowing through their brain and their body. And so disobedient children, 
are not strong-willed, they're actually weak-willed. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And so I think that's kind of getting at a little bit of what you're saying too, is how can we be free by accepting control of our lives rather than, you know, so like the the kid, you know, who who doesn't do their chores or is irresponsible at home. Uh, and so they, uh, they've lost control of their own schedule, we could say. And so the parents mm-hmm. take the keys of the car away. So now they lo- no longer have control of the rest of their life because their world is shrunk down to their house because they couldn't control their own area. So how did you fall into this idea of self-control, but specifically in regard to brain science? Like, doesn't the Bible say enough? Why do we have to bring in all this other stuff? Like, why, why don't you just believe in the Bible, Drew? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, you don't. <laughs> you talk about the brain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think you're with me, though, just given the name of this podcast. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I'm um, just giving you And by the way, I'm going I'm to use what you said about strong-willed children on my kids next time they're acting up. I like that. that that's good stuff. I think um, that was the so yeah, Eagle somewhere, but I'm not quite sure where. Okay. Okay. Well, good of you to attribute. Um, so, yeah, I think, obviously, I don't want to overstate the case because Christians got by for centuries, almost millennia, uh, with the Bible and other writings and, and the community of saints. Um, and we're able to follow Jesus without understanding what was going on between our ears uh, in, in detail, right? Uh, and so I don't think it's like, I wouldn't say, oh, it's essential if you want to be a good Christian that you have to understand something about the brain. But my crazy belief is that God made the brain. And mm-hmm. so it makes a lot of sense for us to study his creation. Um, and just to, to, yeah, gain a little bit of understanding, not that it's going to tell you exactly what to do, but but there are just some good insights that you can glean from understanding. Just And it's you don't have to have exhaustive knowledge. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a psychologist. For the book, I just spoke to a lot of these folks uh, to kind of uh, glean from their expertise. Um, but it just helps with looking at a lot of your behavior that's really perplexing. You know, because I think sometimes this is my misunderstanding anyway, is that you feel like if you just get the right level of knowledge about God, you know, you study theology enough, then your life is going to align with those beliefs. But often that doesn't happen, right? And you're like, what's going on? Um, and, and you realize that there's something deeper at play. And so even simple things like understanding that when you're in a heightened state of anxiety, say, or, or depression, or, or especially when you got that fight or flight response thing going on, that almost shuts down the executive functioning of your brain, the free uh, frontal uh, uh, cortex, where, where you're where you're exercising self control when you're regulating things, and so it's important to play, you know, um, pay attention to to those emotions if you are going to be able to exercise self control. Uh, so just little things like that, or understanding how willpower works. Um, and so I think it's just it's just smart to avail ourselves of that knowledge, um, and I see it as something that can kind of aid us in our spiritual journey. Yeah, for sure. And I know that like the manuals of spiritual formation, the Desert Fathers, and the ascetics, like they all. Um, when you read them, you're like, this is like really deep psychology. Like they're really mm. finding, you know, the caverns of the soul and kind of the, our self delusions and the way you know. And so they they even had a sense of psychology and they wouldn't talk about like brain science in that way. And maybe they attributed too many things to the devil and demons and these types of things. But they, you know, I think the Christian tradition has always had this robust sense of like our fully embodied selves and how it yes. gets us off track. And so I think, you know, as you say, uh, and this podcast is, you know, neuroscience is kind of the, the newer way of saying that, but I just found over and over that they're, 
the findings aren't necessarily new. <laughs> it's just kind of in this new idiom and it's scientifically verified. But the the ancient you know wisdom has been in the church for so long. Yeah, and even in scripture, right? You see this yeah, like absolutely. that's what I was struck by as I read these studies is is how much of it just backed up what we find in scripture. So for instance, you know, about 20 years ago, they find out that willpower is this finite resource basically that Good, it runs out. I was just out. about to ask you about that. So oh, well, there, us, I, jumped, I jumped the gun. Um yeah, and so um and yeah, they do these experiments where they like make you do a math puzzle and then have to resist eating cookies and the people that have to do a math puzzle before resisting the cookies give in quicker uh, as opposed to the people that come in fresh without doing the math puzzle. So they go, that's interesting. There's this thing called willpower and and you only have so much of it and it runs out. And when I'd read um studies like that, then I'd think about what scripture teaches us. Like flee temptation. Don't sit around and fight it because God knows that we're weak. We get weaker as we go, right? You'd think that maybe if you can defeat temptation once, well, no problem. I'll actually be stronger the second time or the third time or the fourth time, but you actually get weaker as you go. So scripture gives you some very sage advice and that is get out of there. Don't sit around fighting it. You're going to lose, right? And so I just found that over and over again, that there was just this complementarity between what I was reading in scripture and what I saw in the science. Yeah. Well, So others have said that like the modern kind of problem for change or transformation, whether it's ourselves or spiritually or whatnot, is that we believe, and you kind of already touched on this, we believe that if we know more and we add to our knowledge this thing called willpower, then we'll change. Uh, But the research, and I think a lot of our experience kind of says uh, just doing that, like just grunting it out, just going right after the willpower doesn't actually work. So you're emphasizing self-control, but you're kind of surrounding it with a lot of these other kind of things. So like habits and other things. So how is it that you're trying to build our self-control by doing other things? So it's not just my willpower, right? You're not just telling me to try harder. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And, And back to the knowledge thing. Of course, knowledge is important, right? Say you want to eat well, you have to have a modicum of knowledge that, oh, maybe Krispy Kreme donuts aren't the best you know, breakfast for me every morning, right? Most people know that though. So usually the problem isn't knowledge. (laughs) It's hilarious to me because, and I do this myself too, but you see people, oh, I just need to find the right diet or the right exercise regimen or the right, you know, reading plan or whatever it is. And and if I just find the one that's perfectly tailored for me, I'm going to be a success in this area. But the truth is they all work. I mean, most of them do anyway, right? (laughs) Like, you might you know, not know the best course of action, but you right. you pretty well know the worst courses of action already. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, processed foods, uh, refined sugars, and I mean, I would say if you quiz people on the street, ninety eight percent of people know these things, right? But the reason you fail is because of your lack of self control. Now, went to the second part of your question. I mean, I'm kind of packing a lot under self control because I would even say if you're able to establish healthy, holy habits in your life. That is part of self-control. Mm-hmm. So self-control isn't just that kind of conscious um, willpower where you just outgrit something, white knuckle it, and overcome a temptation or or um, uh, use it to do something difficult. Um, it's actually when you're able to establish some patterns in your life, these habits, which by definition are just these unconscious routines that you have that can kind of carry you. In fact, that's why it's so important to understand that willpower is a limited resource because you, you only have so much of it now. It can grow. And as you do more difficult things, your willpower does strengthen. That's encouraging. You're not just kind of set 
you know, at a set amount of it, it can get better over time, but it's never enough is the point. It's never enough. No matter how, how much your willpower grows, if you consciously have to out battle temptation at every turn or overcome the inertia of your, of your laziness, um, you're going to fail eventually. So the, the smart thing is to use that precious finite commodity of willpower to create new habits that over time, of course, they're difficult at first and, and people argue about, okay, how long does it, you know, does a habit take to stick? And some people say 30 days and some people say for more complex behaviors, it's like 66 days, but whatever it is, you persevere through that crucial window of habit formation. And then it, it uses a lot less willpower and you can kind of be on autopilot. Like the guy who wakes up every morning and runs five miles, he's not slapping himself in the face and going, okay, I got to do this. It's so hard, but I just got to do it. I mean, it's a habit, right? It, it, it's it's something that I mean, it takes a little bit of willpower, but if you're conditioned to do that, you just do it automatically. And that's kind of the goal, I think, with a lot of these behaviors is to get them so stitched into your life that they become automatic. So I use my willpower in the present to create a habit, which will lead to transformation in the future. And then your right? future self will thank you. You hear how I got the title in there? Exactly. And then my future <laughs> self will say thank you because now I'm doing things that I didn't used to be able to. I used to. I can do things spontaneously now that I didn't used to be able to do. Is exactly. that right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think okay. for some people, especially for Christians, we kind of go, "Isn't that kind of cheating or something? Isn't that like you know a life hack? Or shouldn't you be just you know white knuckling it and, and and experiencing these victories that way?" But that's just not how human psychology works. Um, I think if you look at people that you really admire that are godly people, um, you'll see that they've built in these habits where spending time with God, being in his word, serving others, doing selfless things are just have become almost second nature to them because they've built them into their lives. And I've had pushback on this. Like I've had, I won't say who it was, but like um, uh, one Christian leader say, no, I don't believe habits are part of spiritual formation. It's about getting the knowledge of God right. Um, and, and I disagree. Of course, getting the knowledge about who God is, who we are, all that stuff is crucial. It's foundational. But we're habitual creatures. And I think that's why there's so much repetition in Scripture. And, in, in you know, I mean, you think back to the, the all the festivals and, and, and traditions and rituals that ancient Israel had to go through at the command of God, because God knows that we're forgetful people. Or I think of even going to church, you know, we sing the same, same songs all the time, right? Sung this song a thousand times. Uh, or I listen to sermons and frankly, usually I don't learn anything brand new, um, but I'm reminded of beautiful, important truths, right? But I need that because we're habitual creatures. And if we don't get that repetition, if we don't do that continually, we forget. Um, and even if we don't like kind of forget in a, in a cognitive way, it, 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 it kind of gets out of the pattern of our life. So I think habits are absolutely crucial. Yeah, for sure. Well, and especially in the old Testament and even Jesus gave us practices and habits to do is, you know, do these things every day, Israel, do these things every year. Do the, remember the things that I've done for you in the past, like remember where you are and how all these things fit together. And so those things are kind of training the body, training the mind, yes. training the imagination in a certain way so that we can spontaneously act in a way that we're loving God and loving others. Um, and that's freedom and that's, you know, goodness and that's love. Amen. So often uh, we're just trying to do it, uh, but it doesn't always work. So I, I think uh, when it comes to responsibility, a lot of us kind of think 
backwards. We think, you know, like I'm in the present now and I did things in the past and I'm responsible for them. So now I either get the benefit of that or I have to pay the consequences for those things. And um, we're not saying that that's not true, but I think it would also be helpful if we could say, well, we're responsible for our, our, our future selves. So even though I blew it in the present now, I made a decision that I regret. I yelled at my kids, you know, when they barged in on my podcast, when they know that they're not supposed to, right? Or, <laughs> That's justified. justified. Yeah, yeah. Or I ate the cookies uh, and I regret that, but I don't want to do that. So then how can I, you know, make a plan for the future so that my future, so I could be responsible for my, and the, and the decision I make right now, this morning, you know, tomorrow, the next time I connect with my kids is going to help me, you know, build a road to that future self. And then I'm responsible for those future reactions. And I think a lot of times we don't think that way, right? We just think about the past and not the future. And so you're trying to get us to like, turn that around. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And that's a good way of putting it. And I think of the, you know, scriptural use of the, the sowing and reaping metaphor, right? Where, uh, of course, I was an agrarian culture and everyone got it right away. That's a little more foreign to us now. But this idea that, you know, what you're doing today, that is sowing, it's not going to probably affect you that much today. It's probably going to get you in the future, good or bad, right? If you're not sowing, you're not going to reap in the future. If you are, you will. Um, and I think one thing, though, that that is really important to keep in mind is that, say you've blown it, right, in the present or in the, you know, just in the immediate past, you know, you, you cleaned out that bag of, of Oreos or, or, um, or, or you did something sinful that, that you really regret. <clears throat> the important thing is not to then beat yourself up about it, wallow in guilt to the degree that it actually sabotages you going forward. So, um, you know, diet researchers, a fascinating study that I read about, they, they coined this phrase called the, the what the hell effect. And basically what that was is when they observed um, people on diets, when they would have one small indiscretion, they, they just had like one slice of pizza or something like that. What would follow that was often a full on binge, right? Mm. Because they go, what the hell? That's where it comes from. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I've already messed up, right? It, it's too late. I messed up. Now I'm just going to go crazy. And of course, they do more damage in the binge than they did breaking the diet in the first place. Right. Uh, and I think that that actually even applies to areas of sin. When you mess up and you go, okay, I've messed up now. God's mad at me. Uh, I'm such a loser. And now I'll just indulge whatever sin it is for a day, a week, a month right. before I actually try to pull myself together. Uh, and of course, that just creates these cycles uh, of being completely defeated in your life. And so what you want to do, this is where grace comes into this conversation, I think, about, about self-control. Because they also talked about the kind of reverse phenomenon, and they called it the fresh start effect. And that is this idea that when people um, perceive that they have a fresh start, that they have a clean slate, that they're starting anew, their behavior actually improves um, because they think, man, I've got this fresh start. I don't want to mess it up. Um, And I mean, Paul talks on this and he talks about, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means, right? The, the, The reaction to grace, to being forgiven, to having that fresh start is to actually strive for godliness. Um, and, and that's true across the spectrum of our lives. So the important thing is whatever, um, and I think there's a spiritual dimension to this because you kind of hear those whispers like, oh man, this is who you are. You're never going to get past this, especially if you have this besetting sin or a really bad habit in your life. And it's been there for years. Um, you got to reject that voice. You have to internalize the grace of God, of course, confess your sins. Um, and then 
what actually grows from that is a desire to please God, to be obedient and to live a godly life. So I think that's exciting. Uh, and then you're absolutely right. Keeping in mind too the future, uh, because it's easy to lose sight of that. Researchers, and sorry, I'm just, I'm babbling now, so just cut me off oh, at any point. Oh, I love it. Keep going. Um, <laughs> but researchers talk about, these are secular researchers, not Christian ones necessarily, but they talk about the power of sanctified goals. And what they mean by that is that when you have a goal, even if it's a rather mundane goal, like I want to lose 15 pounds, um, if you sanctify that goal, that is, if you attach a spiritual or ultimate significance to that goal, you will have a greater success at reaching that goal. Really? So, yeah. So if you say it is 15 pounds you want to lose, but your motivation is, oh, I want to look good in, in these pants or, you know, you know, look good at the beach. That's okay. That's fine. Uh, but it's not very powerful. But if your if your motivation is, I want to more have more energy to pursue God's call in my life, uh, or or I want to be here for my kids and I want to be healthy and all that stuff, you will have greater success if you kind of make if you attach ultimate significance to that goal. Um, and, and so that's why I mean it's so powerful. Um, and, and often we fail to the, to do this as Christians. But like if whether it's your marriage, your 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 career, whatever it is is thinking of it in terms of God's call in your life of, of putting it kind of casting it in the ultimate reality of spiritual reality. That is really powerful and essential, not only because God commands us that, right. We're supposed to think of all of, all of life in those terms, but because it actually um, uh, increases goal striving is how they, they, they talk about it and makes you more likely to achieve your goals. Well, th- what that made me think of is that, because like you said at the beginning, so often we think self-control is this negative, it's a saying no. Like I'm saying no to my impulses, right. I'm saying no to my desires, I'm just going to be a steward and just kind of live a really boring and mundane life. But actually self-control is a saying yes to something concrete and then making decisions, free decisions based on that yes, that goal of being, you know, having energy for my kids or for my grandkids, you know, for, for talking about physical fitness and things like that. Uh, and so that future oriented sanctified goal is saying yes to God's kingdom, to God's will in a certain way that then allows all, all those things to flourish in and around us. Uh, whereas too often the modern kind of view is, you know, well, I just free will is to be able to choose among alternatives and self-control is just saying no a whole bunch and how boring. Uh, but that's really right. not the case. Yeah. And of course it entails that, right? Say no to destructive choices. I mean, but most people think self-control, let's say no to the donut, right? And th- okay, that's part of it, but it's a small part because you're exactly right. Usually the reason you're saying no to something is to say yes to something better too, right? right. Um, and, and all often, I think the way we're wired up a Scottish preacher, what's his name? Chalmers. Anyway, I forget the first name, but he had a great phrase. And that is the expulsive power of a new affection, the expulsive mm-hmm. power of a new affection. In other words, uh, the, the best way in his view to combat sin wasn't to sit there and just kind of like become this like steel person who temptations can just bounce off and just say no to everything. Instead, it's to indulge those things that, that are wholly um, healthy, uh, uh, passions, and then there's no room left for sin. Right. And so I think that's a good, a good, um, uh, principle. And I think that's why people talk about researchers, um, will tell us the best way to get rid of a bad habit is to implement a new good one. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of just sitting there and just go, okay, that's it. I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm not going to drink too much. I'm not going to do this and that it's a losing battle ultimately. Right. You need an outlet. You need new, um, endeavors that are going to satisfy your soul. Cause often 
destructive behaviors, at least in the short term, bring you this satisfaction uh, and this meaning. So you have to find those healthy outlets for those things and establish those as habits in your life. Hmm. Well, you mentioned this already, but I just want to kind of uh, circle back to this question of grace. And you mentioned that the grace is kind of the, the starting over. Um, but a lot of people think, or I, I know they push back uh, against kind of your ideas here is that, you know, if we have grace, we don't really need self-control. Like is it, if we just pray, right. we're open to the spirit and, you know, we pursue God's sanctification by, you know, reading the Bible and praying, right. Uh, then all these things will work themselves out because that's God's grace. And if we're doing all this self-control stuff, all this habit stuff, like, isn't that really just works? Aren't you just advocating a pharisaical life? Obviously I don't believe that, but people ask that. So yes. how do you answer that? No, and I've got a lot of that pushback. Like a lot of people online, I remember one guy was like, brother, you got the wrong idea. It's not self-control, it's spirit control. You, God does it, we don't do anything, right? And and it's right. it's um, represented so by... It does sound pious. I kind of, I'm like, oh yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a brain sliver for Christians. Cause you're like, okay, well that sounds good. Right. Oh yeah. Let, right. And then you hear expressions like let go and let God, right. right. Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> These kind of <laughs> popular idioms that are, that, that kind of uh, represent this mentality. Unfortunately, <laughs> what I see when I read scripture are commands to strive for godliness, to fight the good fight. Um, you know, all these, um, but then there, there's, there is, uh, an aspect of truth to this because self-control from a Christian perspective, isn't merely pulling yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps and doing it all in your own strength, right? Cause if you're doing that, if that, if it's like all on me to live the Christian life, that's absurd. We know we can't do that. We need the spirit to empower us. You know, even self-control in Galatians, it's called a fruit of the spirit. It's something right. that comes from God. It's something that grows in our lives as we're connected to God. So there are kind of two ways to fall off this horse. It's like the let go and let God, I'm just going to kick back, take a pleasure cruise towards holiness. I don't have to do a thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which just doesn't jibe in my view with any of the biblical language. Um, And, and then on the other hand though, you can be the Pharisee if you're not careful and you say, that's it. I got the manual for how I'm supposed to live this Christian life. I'm just going to do it all on my own strength. God, I'll see at the finish line, right? And it's neither of those things because it's being empowered by God's spirit, staying close to God, connected to God. So God produces this fruit in your life. But at the same time, experientially, it is not a passive thing. Passivity is not spirituality. So you are exerting effort. And I think the key is you strive with God's spirit instead of against God's spirit, right? That's when you're doing it wrong. When you're resisting God's spirit in your conscience, but instead, when you when you, when God reveals what's right and you are striving, empowered by His Spirit, in this kind of mystery mix of divine empowerment and human effort to live the Christian life, so it's a little bit complex and muddy. But I think that's that's that to me kind of reflects what we see in Scripture. Right. Well, just to conclude, there's you know in Philippians uh, chapter three uh, verse twelve. Paul talks about kind of a lot of these things. He says, not that I've already attained all this. This is a sanctified life that you were just talking about, uh, or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And that, you know, when I, I came across that as a teenager and I was like, that is something that is really important, which is, you know, Christ has taken hold of us. He has grabbed us and he's pulling us into how, you know, how, all the language of salvation, however we want to, you know, 
speak about that, but we're also grabbing onto him and we have to hold right. on to him. And so it's this two way process where we each have responsibilities in one of the early episodes uh, of, of this season. I had Jim Wilder on and he talked about, oh, you know, yeah. how are, how are mature disciples made is we think, well, God just does stuff to people. And he says, well, that's part of it. Uh, but we're responsible for our own maturity and human maturity is a process mm-hmm. of, you know, growing self-control, self-regulation, responsibility, and these types of things. And we have to work at it. And that's, that's our work. And God has done his work to redeem and save um, us. And so. So well, true. And in the, in the, in the Bible's comfortable putting that language side by side. You know, it's like, work out your salvation if you're in trembling. Oh man, it sounds like it's all on me. And then the next words are, for it is God who works in you. You know, it's right. like, okay, is it me or God? Yeah, the answer seems both. to be both. Yeah. yeah, Jim Wilder, man, that guy's a stud. I, I'm jealous of his title, which is neurotheologian. I thought of adding that to my Twitter bio, but you know, <laughs> we all can. I think we can all. It's not trademarked as far as I know. So I know another guy who wants to be a neurotheologian. I, so there's there's multiple. I, I'm just sticking with pastor theologian of neuroscience for currently. That's not bad either. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on, Drew. This has been a delight, and the book is it's really great. Uh, it's short, you know, for us short attention span people. It's really quick read, a lot of great stories. So your future self will thank you. And I'm sure uh, all of our future selves will thank us, you know, for listening to this podcast, for all of you listeners. Uh, you can find this on podcast on Spotify and iTunes. We're also on um, YouTube. So find, please share all those different places. And any last words or thoughts, Drew, for us? Oh, no, just, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, and if and if you want to connect with me, I spend too much time on Twitter. I don't have enough self-control to stop that. And it's just my name, uh, uh, Drew, and then D-Y-C-K. Well, one of my self-control failures was uh, being on Twitter for too long. So instead of wearing out my self-control, I did delete the app for a couple of years. So I currently have it, but, you know, I've broken... The, the Twitter addiction. So good move. Good move. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to all the different uh, projects and things that you're working on. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks, Jeff. Sure. Sure.